Hello, and welcome to the Story Wagon Podcast, where we talk about life, story, and spiritual health. I am your host, Chaplain Jose Martinez, and you can learn more about this podcast at our website, storywagon.org. You can also show us your support on our Patreon page so that we can continue to host this podcast and create resources that help our communities develop good spiritual health. Welcome. Well, welcome everybody to another episode of Story Wagon. And this is going to be part two of a conversation that we had with the Reverend Amy Shoemaker talking about perinatal loss. So we will continue the conversation where we left off. So I kind of want to go back to this, the, the fear. Yeah. Um, you know, there was a, there was a moment in, in the conversation that you were talking about irrational fear. Mm-hmm. But to me, sometimes fear is just fear. There's no irrational about it. There, there's, right. there's right. something, yeah. you know, have you thought about that even more? Like what was, what was going on with that? Yeah, so for me, it was about embodiment. I was embodying fear, mm-hmm. but I didn't know that that's what I was embodying. Right. Meaning fear was motivating every single choice that I was making, but I didn't know it. I thought I was just, you know, following the rules of being pregnant. Right. But I didn't know that I was deferring to those rules uh. because I wasn't in love with my body, mm. because I wasn't in compassion or friendship with myself. What are, what are some of the rules that would, that you were telling that your subconscious or your conscious was telling you to say, Hey, you have to follow these. What are these rules? Yeah. Just like being really militant with myself about, um, like taking my prenatal vitamin. Oh, okay. And I think one day I forgot to take it and I like beat myself up really bad Mm. for that. Mm -hmm. And like every time I ate like a cookie, I mean, you know, I think, I don't know. I had a couple of cupcakes two like two days in a row I had a cupcake and I just was like it just that was the irrational part of it was that I was so afraid of losing the pregnancy that I was beating myself up for things that I don't actually think are a problem mm-hmm. like a cupcake is not going to terminate a pregnancy right. You know? right but my fear was so intense and so embodied it was the air that I was breathing. Mm. And so, you know, every little thing became something I was going to do wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, my prenatal vitamins. Um, a friend came over to hang out in the backyard and brought a bottle of wine, and I really wanted to taste it. And, like, that's fine. But for some reason, I, you know, tasted the wine and was just like, so it, it was this, um, another way to describe it is a disproportional response to the, the severity of what I perceived to be the problem. Yeah. Like I was perceiving problems and dangers everywhere. And like, you can have a glass of wine while you're pregnant. Right. Like that is science, scientifically proven to be okay. <laughs> you know, um, and yes, sugar is a hormone disruptor. And like a cupcake isn't gonna be a big, you know, isn't gonna have a major impact, probably. Mm. Like, okay, you skip your prenatal vitamin once. Okay, okay, like 
chill out, you know? Right. But I couldn't chill out because I was so afraid of that death. Mm. I was so afraid of it to the extent that I could not imagine my own existence on the other side of it. Wow. I just, I, I felt full, that I, I fully felt that I would cease to exist mm. if we lost this pregnancy. Yeah. And then we did. Yeah. And I'm still here. Right. So now what? Mm. <laughs> wow. So with that, with that explanation of the, of the fear that you're talking about and like this ambiguity that's going on. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes. <laughs> I mean, it just seems like there's this, uh, a, uh, a grief that even in the midst of this, that you're, you're suffering, you know, that you're experiencing this kind of grief. Mm-hmm. I don't know what to call it. You know, there's the ambiguity, there's the anticipatory almost. Yeah. You know, this was transformational. Yeah. I mean, I also, there's also grief of who I was before I was pregnant. Right. My body will never again be a body that's never been pregnant. Mm -hmm. So like when you fill out paperwork for doctors and midwives and stuff, um, the question is, is this your first pregnancy? Mm. Not, is this your first birth? The question is, is this your first pregnancy? And I check that box yes every single time. And now that answer is no. Right. And that occurred to me in that first week that I knew I was pregnant. I thought to myself, this could be the only time in my life when I am pregnant. And I felt a desire to be fully present with that process in my body, but I couldn't. Mm. I was too preoccupied with all running through all of the worst case scenarios in my mind. And again, this is all very clear to me now, and I can see it very clearly. Right. But at the time, that, that's not what I knew. I knew that I was overwhelmed, and I knew that I felt stress. But I didn't know how to turn toward those feelings and look under them. Mm. Um, because there's at this point where we are in the pandemic and everything, there's... There are so many reasons to be stressed and overwhelmed and afraid oh, yeah. that I just didn't, I, I didn't have the capacity at that time to really investigate that feeling because I thought I was taking care of myself. Right. I was feeling overwhelmed. I was practicing inc- incrementality out of self-care. Mm-hmm. That was how I was taking care of myself. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just did not realize the intensity and the depth of this fear of death. And I didn't realize that my fear of loss was actually about my fear of death. Mm-hmm. And my it has transformed my grieving process. Um, meeting my fear of death with compassion has changed the way I'm grieving and the way that I will grieve in the future. Right. Because there's not the extra like tragedy trauma. Like I feel like like death is difficult for us to witness. It's difficult for us to survive like the death of loved ones. Mm-hmm. You know, like loss is really hard. And I feel like we add a layer of trauma onto that in our culture and our society because we don't do the preparatory spiritual practices Mm -hmm. we're living in fear of our own death in avoidance of our own death to the extent that if something bad happens to you 
the if if I'm it's like we have this this like weird unconscious belief that my proximity to something bad increases my likelihood of something bad happening to me. Oh, okay. Yeah. So if we don't talk about it, if we don't talk about the bad stuff, right. the hard stuff, mm -hmm. then we have this sort of barrier of safety about it mm -hmm. where I'm protecting myself and this, you know, sort of survival-based, fear-based mentality that if I distance myself from the bad stuff, I'm protected from it. And it's less likely to happen to me. Which, of course, is not true. Right. <laughs> we have no control. <laughs> we have no control over any of it. Um, but fear asks us to exert that kind of control. Um, and so when we feel uncomfortable about something, we push it away. Yeah. So... Grief for me is very has been very different in this season because I really f have a felt experience that death is natural. It is not this monster in the closet. Mm. Um, it is death is in every exhale. Death is in every disappointment. Death is in every you know, dropped glass that shatters. We, we, ha we, we, move, we are already moving through these small daily experiences, these small daily deaths. Mm -hmm. And there's, there's a, an odd kind of sacredness to that. There is a sacredness to that. Mm. And it's not something we need to be afraid of. Right. And so it feels to me like when we're living in that fear of death and then death happens, there's like this, there's the grief of the loss and then there's the trauma of the loss kind of layered on top of each other. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I, I can't help but wonder um, how our culture and our society and our spiritual practices, you know, would change collectively if our orientation to death were different. Hmm. And I know that there are a lot of people who are practicing, you know, a different orientation to death, something other than fear. Um, but I feel like as a culture and as a society, we're even afraid of aging. Yeah. You know, like we're doing, so, we're working so hard to avoid death. <laughs> yeah, well, and, and with the pandemic, I think oh, uh, yeah. that's, I mean, yes. we're avoiding each other now because mm -hmm. we're afraid to die, mm -hmm. you know, sort of thing. And it's kind of like. Yeah. And I see dying like a fear of dying as a, as it's different from fear of death. Mm. Um, I yeah. Dying sounds really scary. Right. And death sounds scary, too, but in a different way. Mm. Um, so in terms of grieving and like Mother's Day and how, you know, all of that, it's just like so complex and so multilayered and. Um, yeah, like, I, this would have been my first Mother's Day, you know, I would have been pregnant on Mother's Day. Right. Um, this past Sunday, the 25th would have been the Sunday that I could tell my congregation that I was pregnant because mm -hmm. that would have been 12 weeks. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, which that 12 week sort of rule goes back to not telling people you're pregnant until you're sort of out of the most likely span of time for miscarriage. Right. 
So of course we didn't adhere to that mm -hmm. um, <laughs> because we knew that if a loss happened, we would want our community to support us. And so we told we told a lot of people that we were pregnant right. before the 12 weeks. Mm. We then had a lot of people to tell when the pregnancy was lost, but we also had a lot of support in response. Right. Um, I mean, people brought meals, um, a couple family members came over and did dishes and laundry and you know just there was a real like postpartum care that we experienced because we were willing to be honest about what was happening and right. to and to you know to tell people mm -hmm. um, and there are a thousand different ways that it could have been so much worse for us um, and I'm thankful for being spared those experiences and pains. Um, but yeah, I, I, looking at Mother's Day, I feel a deeper appreciation for my mother. Um, I feel like we have a, a she, she didn't experience pregnancy loss, but she did have three um, natural births. And I just feel such a, an admiration for her and a reverence for feminine power mm -hmm. um, and a, con a deep connection to my own feminine power um, and a deep a deeper connection to my mother my maternal lineage so what's interesting to me is that the DNA that that sperm contributes in conception is in the tail and it gets it falls away um, but then the 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 DNA that comes from the mother um, is is sort of a permanent it, it's what we can trace it's the mitochondrial DNA mm -hmm. so we can't trace the paternal DNA we can trace the mitochondrial DNA mm -hmm. so if you get like a, a DNA test from like 23andMe or Ancestry or something like that and it tells you like you know the trajectory of your people through the world over time that's traced through the maternal line because that paternal mitochondrial dna drops off mm. during conception hmm. so we live in this patriarchal society that traces things through male last names and you know paternal lineage when our bodies trace our lineage through maternity right and I have felt really deeply connected to that. And so now with Mother's Day coming up, like I wanna hear everybody's birth story. I'm like, how were you born, Jose? Like, what was that process for you as an infant? <laughs> because we've all had this universal experience. Right. Universal in the sense that we've all been born, not universal in the way that it happened. Um, but I've also, in the last few weeks, had to move through my own birth trauma, the trauma that I experienced being born. Um, because labor was induced and I wasn't ready mm. and my mom struggled to keep me alive in the first few weeks mm. that I was that I was on this side of things um, and you know that's not her fault it's not my fault it just is what happened and so I've now been able to trace these patterns these imprints from birth onto me that I'm living today mm. and of course those would be super loud as I'm, you know, in pregnancy, you know, um, they were loud when I was pregnant, but I didn't know that that, that they were from my own birth, ex my own birth. Mm. Um, so I'm just really fascinated with, you know, 
the ways that birth impacts us as now, you know, as people who've been born, and then also how child, how pregnancy and birth um, transform birthing people and families, and of course their partners too. Um, Carly was definitely more traumatized than I was because by the time the really like violent things were happening for me, I had surrendered to the process and I had trust, I like put my trust in my body. Right. But Carly was watching from the outside and didn't feel that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so it was really traumatic for her to watch me empty the contents of my stomach into the hallway right. and just, you know, be in the bottom of the shower in child's pose rocking because I was in pain. Yeah. You know, like those were really difficult things for her to watch and she's definitely, you know, moved have had to move through the trauma of that as well as the grief of it. Um and so her experience has been very very different from mine. Mm-hmm. Um and I'm just in awe of people of birthing people. Like and I feel like I have a better understanding of our society as well because so many of us are not allowed to have um, a physiological birth as infants um, and it impacts our whole lives. It, Im- it imprints onto our personalities, onto our bodies, um, and there's a, a really deep and long-lasting um, impact to that. Um, and I think... and. This is, you might want to cut this out, but I um, also um, was listening to a midwife this morning on a podcast saying that um, when she started her career, which was in the mid 80s, they, that circumcisions were happening for infants without any anesthesia, without any local anesthetic, without any numbing agent whatsoever. And I can't help but think about the generations of men whose one of their you know first few days of life experience was having their foreskin removed surgically without anesthetic mm. because we lived we had the belief that babies couldn't feel pain yeah and now we have this gener- generations of toxic masculinity mm. it's like well, we're what like mm-hmm. I wonder if there's a correlation sort of thing. There ha- there there has to be. Yeah. Like there we can't separate those two things because mm-hmm. that's been the practice. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying circumcision is wrong or bad or anything like that. I'm just saying that we were living under this belief this objectification of infants where there was no pain. Mm. And torturing right. these tiny little babies, right. right? So we're having yeah, so we're having these we're, we're being born in traumatic ways and then we're further traumatized, <laughs> like, right. you know, and then we grow up and we're in therapy and we're looking at our traumas from the perspective of what we can remember mm. consciously. Mm-hmm. And we're not looking back to, you know, culturally, we're not looking back to those birth experiences and, and the impact that that has on us. Yeah. The other thing that that when I'm hearing the story, your story is this juxtapositions of emotions. Mm-hmm. So you had you used to descri- you, you described the the fear, the pain, the the agony, but also you also described relief, mm-hmm. love, 
mm-hmm. you know, compassion, mm-hmm. all at the same time. And so, yeah. you know, a lot of people I can only imagine because, you know, I'm a man, I, <laughs> I can't give birth or have, you know, that kind of experiences that maybe there's some sort of guilt in that, you know, maybe uh, for other people. Oh, for uh, sure. Yeah, yeah, Culturally, there's a ton of guilt. Right. Because the message is that that we should be able, that women should be able to do this. Mm. So there's a ton of shame in mm. our culture. I mean, mm. we already live with menstrual shame. Mm. And then we're moving through the, you know, and then we're told that we've miscarried. Yeah. Like, I can't even use that word. Right. Because it insinuates that I've done something wrong, that mm. I made a mistake, or that my body made a mistake. Because we live in a maternity care system that believes that the danger of pregnancy and childbirth resides in the woman. Right. And the danger in pregnancy and childbirth resides in the environment around women. And we live in a society that does not support women. It doesn't. Mm. And then women of color are even more intensely mistreated. Mm. Trans women are even more intensely mistreated. Mm. So for me as a pastor, I'm fully recognizing now, like I have not opened my Bible because there aren't any women's stories in the Bible. Mm. There are women in the Bible, but we do not have a single text that was written by a woman. When I look for, you know, spiritual teaching about pregnancy, pregnancy loss and childbirth, I'm looking at, I'm, I'm listening to podcasts out of, out of Australia, Mm. podcasts from midwives in Australia who are, reconnecting with the the deeper sort of pre-christian european wisdom so i'm a white woman my ancestry is european Mm -hmm. ireland britain primarily britain and my people were colonized by roman christians the serpent goddesses of my lineage were replaced by a martyr mother virgin mary Mm. And so what used to be a reverence for the monthly shedding of blood in the shape of this serpent that sheds its skin became a mother who was a martyr to her child. And the church prioritized the life of the infant because the infant was not baptized. And the mother was baptized. So in childbirth, um, the practice became to prioritize the birth of the child. And then the women were, t- were taught that they were vessels <laughs> and um, that, that the woman wasn't as important as the child. Hmm. So, the, so women ourselves began to live and embody that narrative. And that's, that's the inheritance today. So when we are living for our children and then we lose a child in utero, that's a whole, that's a whole lot of guilt and shame mm-hmm. to pile onto a person. Yeah. When my deeper wisdom about pregnancy loss is that my body will support what is healthy and I can trust my body and that pregnancy loss is a part of pregnancy. It just is. It's a part of nature. It's a variation of natural, you know, mm-hmm. like not every bloom opens into a flower in nature. Not every seed sprouts into a plant. Like 
why wouldn't that also be true in my womb? Yeah. It's just a part of the natural world. It's a part of the earth. It's a normal, natural process. And that's not the message that we're given as women. And, uh, you know, the, uh, so like I'm thinking about if a person's listening to us Mm -hmm. (laughs) and that, you know, maybe, maybe they have had a, uh, a pregnancy where it didn't come to a a birth, Mm -hmm. um, or a life, stillbirth. A, a stillbirth, mm-hmm. you know, that sort of thing. And mm-hmm. they're, they're harboring the, still the fear or the, yes. the guilt or the shame, you mm-hmm. know. How would, how would you help somebody process through those things? Because it seems like you, you, you're, you're still in the process now, but yeah. th- there is like this uh, time that you were able to connect mm-hmm. with your feelings and, mm-hmm. and, and, and your body. Mm-hmm. How do you help somebody through that process, you know? Oof. I kind of feel like I'm too close to it to uh, to true. say really, but I do feel like there is a message, which is that pretty much everything I've just said, which is that you know the dangers are in our society, the dangers are in our culture. Um, pregnancy loss in itself is painful and it is a loss and so there is grief and it doesn't have to come with all these extra layers of silence and shame and guilt because the pregnant person didn't do anything wrong right and that's a really hard message to internalize Mm -hmm. and to embody and so if I had any advice, it would be love. Mm. That all of the pregnancy books and blogs and blah, blah, blah are going to focus on the technical stuff, the vitamins and the science. And our wombs need love. Our wombs need love. And in the midst of our grief and our guilt and our shame, we have to find a way to connect with love and to fill our womb space and our bodies with love. And love may not be the word that works. For me, it was kindness, Mm -hmm. um, compassion. But particularly kindness for me was a bridge from that place of fear and loss to that place of love and and compassion for myself. Um, I could actually feel love for my womb once I was practicing kindness um, energetically, emotionally, physically. So um, my one bit of advice is to find a way to continue to be kind to yourself. Your body has not betrayed you. This is a natural process and your body can be trusted. Well, Amy, thank you so much for sharing your story. and. Uh... I want to thank also the you listeners uh, as you're listening to this. This has been a pretty heavy, heavy episode, <laughs> uh, which is great, you know, because we want we want to be able to. I, I don't think we talk enough about well, especially pregnancy. I mean, there's yeah. things that I completely, even though I have a child, I, I there's things that I don't understand mm-hmm. and I don't know, mm-hmm. and so 
the yeah. only way to know is to hear each yeah. other's stories yeah. you know so. yeah and uh, it, you know if anyone's listening and anything of my story is resonating or whatever please reach out to me because uh, like this is all I'm already thinking about so mm-hmm. <laughs> may as well talk about it right definitely <laughs> definitely and i have a lot of questions about you know how our church communities can better support women and families as as we're going through these things oh yeah and also on an inter- interreligious level yes. you know like how can you know even though like one might be a christian community another might be a mm-hmm. muslim community how can we support each other yes. in these times and uh, during the pandemic and people mm-hmm. losing you know oh my gosh their, their loved ones and yes. you know i mean we have all this whole thing yeah. you know kind of like thing so community community there we go mm-hmm. <laughs> how can we be better neighbors to one another yeah well, yeah well again amy thank you so much thank you all right thank you and on that note we'll call that a wrap for this episode of story wagon i want to thank you the listener for supporting us and listening to this episode And if you want, please follow us on any social media platform and type in StoryWagon. You can also visit us at our website, storywagon.org. And so with that, this is Chaplain Jose Martinez wishing you good spiritual health.